Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 110, recorded on March 24th, 2021. They didn't even call the Cloud Pod about the AWS CEO role. <laughs> hey, Peter. Hey, Ryan. And hey, Jonathan. How's it going? Hey, Justin. Hey there. Hello. Our title buries the lead just a little bit for this week's show, but we uh, we have some news to get to before we get to the C- new CEO of AWS. Uh, but uh, <laughs> first up, uh, Sysdig is releasing a new unified cloud and container security capability with the launch of a continuous cloud security posture management service. Sysdig believes that having a single view across cloud workloads and container speeds the time to both detect and respond to lateral movement attacks. And by combining the Sysdig container security features, teams can identify the entire attack chain and respond to threats faster. Uh, there's a great blog post here. They posted on their website about all the new capabilities. This is free for one cloud account. So if you're a small company, uh, you can get the advantage of Sysdig CSPM capability, which uh, leverages cloud custodian capabilities as well as Falco uh, and many other insights from Sysdig to help you make sure your environment is very secure. Uh, the best part of this whole thing is a blog post they wrote about breaking in through a vulnerable container, which gives you a full cloud lateral attack chain breakdown and how, uh, which is really quite fascinating. Uh, and scary, uh, if you're not familiar with some of the attack ve- uh, vectors, but uh, definitely check that out. Uh, and they do have a webinar on April 8th at uh, 10 a.m., which is available to you in the show notes if you're interested in learning more about this new capability from Sysdig. Yeah, it was fun to hear that they use Cloud Custodian. We use that all the time. It's cool that they're using it too. It's kind of ironic because their uh, Capital One is in their case study as a, as the the breach that happened in Capital One is the creator of Cloud Custodian. Well, the most important news this week uh, is in the Amazon family, and that is that AWS has a new CEO who's apparently an old former employee of AWS who's coming back, and that is Adam Salipsky, uh, who left in 2016 to become the CEO of Tableau, uh, where he worked until he sold it for lots of money to Salesforce uh, back in 2019, and basically he will now be rejoining AWS in May to start transitioning with Andy before they announce the major changes of Jeff and Andy taking over their roles in Q3. Andy sent a memo to all employees on March 23rd announcing the return of Adam. And he says, Adam brings strong judgment, customer obsession, team building, demand generation, and CEO experience to an already very strong AWS leadership team. And having been in such a senior role at AWS for 11 years, he knows our culture and business well. And at 11 years, he was CEO of AWS at the time. So he was. it sounds like he was sort of always wanting to be uh, potentially promoted into a serious role at executive level there. And, you know, there wasn't a path back in 2016. So he went to Tableau and made a lot of money. <laughs> so good for him. Uh, and now welcome back to AWS, uh, officially on May 17th. Uh, I did not see this coming. Did you guys? Not at all. Yeah, we were, we were pretty confident that it'd be somebody internal. They promote somebody that, you know, that we would have, you know, someone we know well, <laughs> you know, Matt, I think was the big, uh, potential CEO candidate, uh, which would have been logical choice because he's running sales right now. Uh, there's some other choices I think would have been good as well. You know, so it's just really interesting to see them not go with an internal person, although he is basically an internal person who went on sabbatical for four years and came back. Yeah, maybe that's why they picked somebody who was external, though. I mean, the, the problem with promoting an internal person is now you've got to replace that person, and that person's already doing a fantastic job. And so you know, maybe it's just easier all around to bring somebody else in who's got external experience as a CEO and also AWS experience. For sure. Strengthen up the team, known quantity. Every, uh, yeah. yeah, you don't lose. Yeah, you don't lose effectively four or five other positions as everyone moves up a level <laughs> uh, in yep. capabilities. 
It allows to keep that arc, that uh, org chart so flat <laughs> by not mm-hmm. letting that happen. So it's good. <laughs> I wonder if we'll see turnover as, you know, maybe some of these people that were passed over for this role and they look to go somewhere else, you know, as that. So I don't know if it quite works the way where it preserves it just because the people do like to sort of have, you know, a career track and, and have a target trajectory. I mean, it takes a special person to be to want to be the AWS CEO. I imagine yeah. you know it's a lot of responsibility. It's a very big <laughs> business, and I'm not sure just anybody could step into that role. No matter how long you've been at Amazon, you know, if you don't have the sales experience, you don't have the enterprise experience, you don't have those pieces that could potentially hold you back in a big way. The interesting thing is, you know, coming from Tableau, which is pretty much predominantly sells to enterprise companies, he brings a lot of enterprise sales experience now back into AWS, which they're not very good at. You know, so that's kind of interesting too. You know, does he revamp things in his what he sees as the right way to go based on now having sold Tableau for five years to enterprises? That's like the Oracle GCP Thomas Curie, yeah. Really, it's sort of the reverse version of it, though. Like we sent him off to yeah. learn, <laughs> learn for people who know what they're doing, and now we bring him back to teach us what they knew that we didn't. And maybe they're looking yeah. to Salesforce to buy them in you know five years. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, kind of how he shakes out or, you know, it's just status quo. And maybe the other side of this is that he's he's least disruptive. He knows the Amazon culture. He knows the way they do business. He knows how to operate in that machine. And he's you know got the experience and the record that the board wanted in that role, uh, as well as Wall Street, I think, reacted relatively fine with this. So I think it maybe just makes the safe bet as well. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't handle a job that demanding. I'm sure that a lot of people are really happy at Amazon with their jobs right now and would rather not take the that I mean that's almost a burden. I'm sure they get paid really well, but that's that's a that's a tough place to be. I'm sure I'm sure someone wants it though. I'm sure people always think they can do do it, you know. I remember hearing about like personal security details and things like that because because it's such a high profile position to be yeah. in. Almost like being a politician. Mm-hmm. He's still, uh, you know, he's still up Except there in age. Responsible though. for uh, <laughs> and real, and real. No, I won't say that. Stay out yeah. of the politics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the things they didn't solve with this hire, though, is you know the age side of it. You know, Adam being in his early fifties, he potentially you know retires in ten years as well, just like Andy Jassy does. Uh, which is one of the things we talked about, I think, last time this came up. And the other thing they didn't solve is, uh, you know, your executive team is so white <laughs> and not and male. Uh, so they didn't solve that problem with this hire either, which uh, is a bit of a disappointment maybe from a cultural perspective. Well, last week we talked about a new Azure feature that scans incoming objects to their blob storage for malware. And we were saying that this is really cool and we'd love to see a similar feature come to AWS or GCP. And apparently Amazon was listening to us as they have answered our call. Uh, or at least pretty close to what we asked for. And so what they're announcing this week is the S3 Object Lambda, a new capability that allows you to add your own code to process data retrieved from S3 before returning it to an application. S3 Object Lambda works with your existing apps and uses Lambda functions to automatically process and transform your data as as it's being retrieved from S3. Uh, Several use cases they gave us, uh, including the ability to redact PII for analytics or non-prod environments, converting across data formats such as converting XML and JSON, Augmenting your data with information from other services or database, compressing and decompressing, resizing, watermarking, and implementing customized authorization rules. To configure this capability, you just create a new Lambda function and create an S3 object Lambda access point in the S3 console and point your app to the use the new S3 object Lambda access point to retrieve data from S3. And this magically all happens for you 
uh, in the background. You'll pay for the Lambda compute and, of course, the request charges for the data transferred to Lambda and back uh, to your end user. That is super neat. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it's a lot more powerful than what Azure announced just because it's so flexible. Anything you can do with Lambda, you can basically do on, on retrieval, which is kind of neat instead of upload. Yeah, no, in a way, on retrieval, it's more important. You could upload a million documents, but why scan them if you only ever download one of them? Whereas yeah. you upload a million documents and you, you scan the one you you, knew, you use, not, not everything else. Yeah, I, I did a total 360 on that because when I first read the announcement, I was like, ah, this isn't that. And then I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> I'd rather put <laughs> yeah, the object exactly into the storage time. that you know has potentially this issue. And then when I actually go access the file, I, I now know there's a problem. It doesn't solve the problem of how do I how do I scan it for malware? How do I you know where does that library come from? You know, I still have to buy software or use some open source capability to plug into the Lambda function to do that use case. But you know, again, still, it's much more flexible. I bet you see vendors step into the space in a big way. It'll be within days for sure. Like if you think about all the all the big announcements, like access to snapshot data directly within within days or, or at least weeks of a, of a sort of life changing announcement like that, there's been a vendor that's been working with AWS for months or or, or longer to to want the solution. I mean, they build things that people ask for, so clearly somebody had the need for this. They built it for a particular use case. It's a couple of weeks. It's my bet there'll be there'll be a cool announcement from somebody who's got exactly the functionality that we're talking about right now. I'll keep an eye out for it. I bet there's a Lambda layer in the marketplace already. Yeah, it's like just-in-time processing or like thin provisioning of transformed objects. So pretend like they're all provisioned, but they're not really. It happens on the fly. And then probably at the end of that Lambda, you save that processing you did in dropping it in a post-process bucket. And then you you can make your app smart enough to get it from the post-process bucket the second time. Yeah, actually, I haven't, I haven't looked into like the meter exactly w- what you can do with it. Presumably, if somebody requests a document, you don't even have to return the document they asked for. Yeah, <laughs> really. You, you could you, you could actually return something entirely oh, different. Oh no, or, 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 or not oh, at all. No. You know what I mean? That's, that's kind of neat. I wish it was a little more transparent, though. I wish it was still just a regular call. Ryan mentioned this last week, and I think it's a really important point. I wish it was just native to S3 rather than being sort of more native to Lambda needing a special access point. It would be nice if anyone just accessing S3 through like the web interface would pull documents through that S3 to Lambda path before it gets returned to the end users. It would have been like a you know, S3 edge computing, like a CloudFront edge computing. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because I was kind of thinking about the same thing. Like, okay, well, you know, implementation of this is a little, you know, slightly clunky because if I'm doing a put operation, I still have to use the legacy S3 access point because the new one doesn't, you know, this one doesn't support this unless it's a Git function. But, you know, I think this is maybe beginning of a step in that direction. But, you know, when you really think about the idea of, okay, I'm going to give you the exact same Amazon API that you use to do everything else, but I'm just going to put it inside a specific, a specific um, access point that has specific rules and or Lambda functions or authorization policies to it, it actually becomes really interesting long-term. And like if this is the beginning of a set of services or capabilities they're going to start leveraging with access points, it can be really cool because then you set up your IAM policies. I can't use the normal ones. I only can use these particular access points. And now I'm enforcing compliance. I'm enforcing encryption. I'm enforcing all kinds of stuff uh, through this method, which I think is really quite unique. And really powerful in a lot of ways. I, I guess it also helps Amazon work around this problem of never deprecating things by by requiring people to to move and adopt new ways of doing things. It sort of helps the march of technology. They don't have to implement these things using the old API anymore. It probably helps them be more dynamic in the products they bring to market. And there's also ways that you could you know pull Macy into this as well <laughs> in the future maybe. 
God, just think of all the all the transforms you can oh, do. Yeah. And think of how how useful this is going to be for for like real time ETL or connecting services to other services. I was just thinking about some of the, some company I know that has a you know Oracle service bus to convert XML to JSON and vice versa, and you know you can just put that into a <laughs> Lambda function. Oh, let's make one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, for life. <laughs> All right. Well, GCP uh, has been an interesting week for them. The first announcement, um, you know, comes from one of, you know, a non-Google source, and so this is basically that apparently Google allegedly is reducing the sales commissions as their losses continue to mount in the Google Cloud. Uh, with their last quarter, of course, being five point six billion dollars in its cloud computing business and loss, uh, is adopting an approach to curtail the flood of red ink. And so, when TK joined a couple years ago, he actually removed. Uh, the cap on commissions earned by Google Cloud salespeople. So to incentivize their enterprise sales team to go out there and sell in a big way and get rewarded for that. And so potentially if you sold, you know, a large McKinley type account, you might make, you know, several million dollars in commissions um, on that particular deal. Now they're going to cap that uh, based on seniority and a bunch of different ca- uh, factors that you know, they didn't cover in the article specifically. Uh, but this is reversing that carrying decision to basically limit the amount that are going to pay their salespeople to reduce uh, potentially their exposure on a financial perspective. And considering how small most Google deals are, I'm, I'm actually surprised that there are lots of people making huge money here. Uh, but apparently it's a big enough of a number that it's something they're definitely considering or allegedly doing um, at this point in time. I'm not surprised. There's, there's, there's so many cases. It's so challenging to avoid being in a position where you're paying a ridiculous amount of money to someone who did very little work uh, in this situation especially with multi-year, you know, multi-billion dollar deals where you need the you need your commission structure to make sense for people to go chase the smaller deals uh, without and for that number to be large enough to then um you know, if that number is large enough where people are motivated to chase smaller deals, the amount you're going to pay for the largest deals is ridiculous, right? Yeah, so so it encourages people to get to go after more smaller deals rather than just the the one uh, the one whale that's going to get them three years worth of commission on whatever. Yeah, and a lot of times they don't even work for that deal. You know, it's a it's a it's a thing where it's an executive relationship, and then you got to hand it to someone to go get ink to paper, and that person. I mean, I remember this from when I was in my colo days of, you know, the Google rep who had Google as a customer sitting in every meeting exceeded my numbers this month, exceeded my numbers this month. Didn't even have to show up to the office. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, I, yeah, I just refinanced my, my yeah. mortgage all online, all online. And, um, the, the very first contact I had was this automated email from a guy called Joe. And, uh, I, I blasted through the entire process, which normally would have been when he'd speak to a loan officer and they start collecting information and all that kind of thing. So Joe would have been that guy if I'd actually called and done it in person, but because I, blasted through the whole lot and typed all the data in on, well, on the website. I got these emails from Joe's avatar linked to the system. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, 10 minutes later, Joe's not in the picture anymore. Somebody else, I've moved on to the next phase of the process, and now it's somebody else. Joe got a commission for me going online <laughs> <laughs> and doing all the work myself and typing all the stuff in. But he got a commission yeah. for that, which is... You think so? I think yeah. He might be a bot. <laughs> nah. <laughs> what is this, words with friends? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's like that somebody would continue to get a commission on a sale, which potentially ex- extended three years, just because their you know their position is like geographically, they were the funnel for the, for those particular customers. Well, it's weird to incentivize salespeople in the cloud, anyways, right? Because it's a consumption model, and so 
you know, yes, you can predict some amount of consumption that you think you're going to have, and that's where typically you might be able to pay a commission out. But you know, if the customer say they committed ten million and they only did a million dollars in three years, what commission did you pay them on the million or the th- the ten million? The ten. Uh, you know, and the ideal is the ten, right? Because that's the contract you have on paper, and then eventually you have to go after that customer to then get them to you know basically fill the nine million dollar gap that they mistake you know made a mistake on. That's a problematic situation too, or it ends up in a clawback situation, which isn't great. So there's lots of scenarios where that's not good. Yeah, and it actually would incent them to instead of you know focusing on getting workloads in the cloud, let's instead try to get a larger commitment and actually maybe even risk the customer because it takes so long to close a large commitment deal. Cause that might not be your customer for, you know, you might be setting up that customer to be there for 10 years, but you might be only assigned that customer for a year and then you get reassigned. So, Hey, I'm going to get my 10 year commit now while I got the customer. Yeah. It helps grow a uh, deferred revenue though, which you know, I'm sure Google isn't upset about. <laughs> But if you get the deal, I mean, you might lose the whole thing when, you know, the incremental approach would have been a better way to ensure that the customer stuck around long term. That's true. I'm just glad I'm not working yeah, in sales. I know. Me too, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine that life, yeah. really. I mean, but if you ever talk about someone who's very coin-operated, salespeople are the most coin-operated people. Yeah. Like, you know, you want them to sell more of Widget X, you incent them to sell Widget X, they will sell Widget X. No, and we have a lot of people listen to us, which, you know, we're not trying to disparage their career profession, but it's definitely a different beast than the implementation side. So that's the hardest job in the world. I always yeah, say when everyone talks about, yeah, when everyone talks about the hardest thing about running a company, like, I got the delivery side down pat. It, the, the sales side feels like black magic. I can't figure it out. I don't know how they do it. I, I'm always impressed by how they do that job. That's the hardest job in the world. Especially people who move from one company to even even to a direct competitor, and and all of a sudden you've almost got to believe a different side of the story than you believed just a few months ago. It's yeah, like, it's sort of weird because like you know you you meet a salesperson, he comes in, he pitches passionately for you about this particular vendor, you know, you do the deal and all that, and then you know a year later he gets swooped up by the next startup and he calls <laughs> you and he's like, hey, you know, I know I sold you the last deal and. <laughs> but this new startup, they, you know, their technology is so much better than what I sold you a year ago, and it's like, really? Like, I, like, <laughs> I get that, but there's there's definitely some, you know, you feel a little dirty <laughs> when you have as long as they don't move to the company that they beat out, <laughs> and then say I changed my mind. <laughs> yeah, <I've seen> <laughs> now too, this other though. one's better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, now they know both sides. They know where you know they know the ins and outs of the one they came from, and the you know the awesome, cool, new hotness. So they can obviously sell you a better deal now. Or they were at the startup, and they went to the old, old and busted enterprise company. Now they're coming and saying, "Oh, you don't want that. You know, they're not capable." So <laughs> you have that side of it too. So all all directions it can go weird. But you know, salespeople are are great if they are good partners, and that's the most important part about sales. So. All right. Well, Google Compute is selling a new way for you to do parallel batch processing. And they use this paragraph. I'm going to read for you uh, verbatim, which sent me on a wild goose chase. If you need to run an embarrassingly parallel batch processing workload, it can be tricky to decide how to many instances to create in each zone while accounting for available resources, quota limits, and your reservations. And so, you know, basically, when you go through this article, their new method of attaining compute engine instances for batch processing is that you can now select any instance type versus a specific instance type. But yeah, I was really kind of put off by like, why is my parallel batch processing so embarrassing? Like, where is that coming from? 
what, what's up with the judgment, Google? Come on, man. I don't like cues. <laughs> Whatever. Well, it's it's yeah. spring break, so the regular marketing person is on vacation. <laughs> ah! and this, is, this, is, this is somebody else. No, it makes sense, though. It really does make sense for software you don't care about necessarily having distributed availability between different availability zones. If you need 1,000 and they've only got five in one, one zone and 995 in the other, then it makes sense to be able to say, I don't care where the resources come from. Just give me the resources I need. Oh, oh, it makes perfect sense for that part of it. I, you know, I, I, I get why they did this. I think it's actually kind of nice. I like to see that on spot market. Even like I like any instance type that costs me <laughs> less than ten cents an hour. You know, whatever you give me. So, anyways, after I, I at Google Cloud and at is for at who's the marketing person. I was like, hey, why are we, why are we judging me? Am I embarrassingly parallel batch processing? And uh, I did some more research and found out that there is actually an ML algorithm called embarrassingly parallel. And so they're talking about the embarrassingly parallel ML algorithm. Which you know is still a terribly named ML algorithm, so that's what they're actually referring to here. They did not clarify that in their press release, which might have helped the confusion, because uh, I thought they were attacking my workload, which I was kind of I was kind of upset about. It's not terrible now that I know what it comes from. Like I think that's you know, right. that just shows me that some data scientist yeah. somewhere has a sense of humor, and I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll be embarrassed later. I mean, we all have those embarrassing workloads. Oh, for sure. I just, I don't want my vendor to tell me that's an embarrassing workload. Yes, I know. (laughs) But I don't usually tell me that. I think embarrassingly parallel is the one that runs completely serial. (laughs) Really? You couldn't even get two, you couldn't even get two parallel threads out of this thing? What are you doing? Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Well, next, Google is claiming their next announcement is a revolution in simplifying on-prem and cloud networking with the launch of the preview of Network Connectivity Center, which delivers planet-scale network management to simplify complex networks for your on-prem and cloud connectivity needs. The Network Connectivity Center provides a single management experience to easily create, connect, and manage heterogeneous on-prem and cloud networks leveraging Google. You can seamlessly connect your VPNs, partners, and dedicated interconnects, as well as third-party routers and software-defined WANs, helping you to optimize connectivity, reduce operational burden, and low costs, uh, lower costs wherever your apps or users may be. Several capabilities include a single connectivity model, flexible cloud connectivity options, VPN-based multi-cloud connectivity, SD-WAN integration and third-party routers, and real-time visibility of your global networks. And they did not use the word hot potato, cold potato networking in any of this announcement, <laughs> which is also a win. I haven't eaten dinner. Don't mention potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> this might be revolutionary in the sense that mostly because I don't understand it, but like... I this is one of those announcements that I really feel like if I, once I get my hands on it and if it does what I think it might do, this might be like a, a really good uh, the promise of a single pane of glass for all your network connectivity, whether it's in Google or not. Like that that would be kind of amazing, and is probably the hardest part about managing networking these days is you have many different peering providers and partners and different connections here or there. 
if you can actually visualize all of that using something like, you know, some sort of agent that can actually trace route and show you the connectivity, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I'm sure Aviatrix and you know, all the SD-WAN vendors who have been trying to sell this simplified ver- vision are love being just included as part of this process. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll just add SD-WAN into this cloud in our diagram. And they're like, no, 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 that's what we do. That is obvious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can they say planet scale when they only have, what, 31 data centers? I guess it's kind of I mean, they scale. do have a pretty hardcore backbone network, too, that crosses the seas. So they, they do. I'll, I'll, give yeah. them, I'll give them that. That's fair. I, I can't it's like bands that go on a world tour and actually only like tour two continents right. or whatever. So I'm more issue when they call you know cloud spanner a planet scale database because that's where I'm like, well, there's only 31 regions, so come on, guys. But uh, yeah, it, it's marketing. What are you gonna do? Don't get me started on the World Series. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> it's not the lightning round, so you don't get a point for that. I know. <laughs> uh, next up from Google this week is the latest in Slurm on GCP scripts. Uh, what continues to be one of the worst names in job scheduler, Slurm has received several new features from Google to make it easier to run on Google Cloud. Uh, those include support for Terraform with scripts that will automatically deploy a SkedgeMD provided VM based on Google Cloud HPC VMs. And this new image reduces deployment of a, slime, a Slurm cluster to just a few minutes. You can now leverage placement policies to improve latency and performance of tightly coupled workloads. And Slurm is now available to use the bulk APIs to create your instances and you can specify instance templates for your Slurm instances, all available to you via the cloud marketplace on Google Cloud. Slurm it up. Mm-hmm. See, someone else has a sense of humor. I'm all for this. I, I like this. Let's let's name everything silly. We need more fun. You know, I don't know what it does, but, you know, who cares? It schedules jobs. <laughs> yeah, what animal is going to be on the cover of the book? It should be a slug, right? Yeah, I think a slug would be good. Yeah. We, I, I, there might be an O'Reilly book on Slurm already. I don't know. I never looked. I feel like Slurm has like a Futurama tie-in somewhere. Like it's rigging. It, it does. Like... Slurm, Slurm is like the the uh, the infant form of uh, I can't remember which who, who it was now. Oh, some 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 one of the characters. <laughs> yeah, they started eating it like popcorn. Turns out it was like the uh, yeah. All right. Well, Slurming right along. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna move on to the A two VMs nice. uh, are now generally available. These are the largest GPU cloud instances with the NVIDIA A100 GPUs. Uh, they being general available, you can now use them in multiple different workloads, including NVIDIA CUDA-enabled ML and HPC workloads for more efficiency and lower costs. The A2 VM stands apart by providing 16 NVIDIA A100 GPUs in a single VM, the largest single-node GPU instances from any major cloud provider on the market today. I did not fact-check that. So if it's incorrect, let me know. I did not fact check it for this. You can get also get smaller GPU instances from one, two, four, and eight uh, GPUs per VM to give you the flexibility of choice. And a single VM shaped with a sixteen A one hundred GPUs tied together with NVIDIA's NVLink enables distributed ML training and optimized NCCL libraries for scale out and is unique to the Google Cloud. A two compute engine VMs are available on demand, preemptible, and committed usage discounts are available, and also fully support GKE, Cloud AI, and other Google Cloud services. Costing you the low price of $0.87 cents per GPU hour on the preemptible A2 VM spot instances. Uh, and they go way up from there, let me tell you. Uh, if you want that 16 uh, GPUs on on-demand pricing, that'll cost you $40,000 a month. Although you can get a discount on that if you go through preemptibles. You'll only pay $12,200. Uh, they'll just rip it out from underneath you anytime they need someone else who's willing to pay the $40,000. They'll take yours. 
And if you're willing to commit to a three-year committed price on these, they'll give them to you for $14,240 a month. So big instances for GPU workloads are always cool, not in my budget. I've never really understood why someone would basically spend a Mercedes a month on on something like that until very recently where I had to wait for a, a modeling job to complete so that I could do some network maintenance. So now it's like, well, yeah, if it's me waiting on the line, let's, let's throw a Mercedes at it. <laughs> yeah, I was always curious to see, like, you know, the cost of standard x86 boxes. I think it's pretty clear that it's just cheaper to do it in the cloud. You can't run it yourself for cheaper. These boxes, I wonder if the math is the same or if the math is a little different. Well, if you need it for an hour, it's cheaper just to. Well, for sure, yeah. If you need it, like if three you need year. it every day for three years, then yeah. Three year no. committed price of 14000 a month versus buying one, sticking it in a, you know, four years worth of space in the data center. Yeah, if you can get one, of course. That's, that's the other Ooh, issue. <laughs> eh, good point. It's like scalping. <laughs> this is basically the computer <laughs> version of scalping. It's awesome. <laughs> Speaking of scalping, how much did you pay for your GPU? Yeah, Justin? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> it wasn't quite a Mercedes, but it was close. It wasn't that bad, but it was more than the list price by at least double. So, yeah, uh, eBay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's the big question. Is I think you had to be a special uh, relationship with NVIDIA to even buy these things. So that definitely is a factor into this. Is that if you don't have that relationship commercially with NVIDIA directly. Getting it through the cloud may be a much more effective manner. But you know, eventually, you might be right, Peter, over time as they're getting more available uh, and you can actually get your hands on these things maybe in the future, it may be cheaper to run it in, on-prem. And at that point, I'm sure the prices will come down to where it's still not cheaper to run on-prem. Let's call uh, BH Photo Video and ask him for a quote on on a, th- on a thousand <laughs> NVIDIA GPUs. I'd like 1,000 A100s. They'll be like, what's an A100? And we're like, just go, go talk All to right. the NVIDIA person, please. We'll, we'll get back to us. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, if GPUs don't excite you, but you are like, man, if only Google would give me networking at 100 gigabits per second, Google's got you this week uh, with a new option to add high bandwidth network configurations on the general purpose into and the compute optimized C2 compute engine families. And you can do this in 50, 75, or 100 gigabit uh, increments. By default, these servers come with 32 gigabits per Google virtual NIC. Uh, so that's about double at the 75 and almost uh, triple at the 100 gigabits. These bandwidth increases are in preview and will not be billed during the preview period. So if you need this in the short term, you can get a really nice savings. Or these are in preview, um, although availability may not be available in your region or availability zone. These higher bandwidth requirements do require that you go with a larger instance size to support the throughput. Uh, so you can't get away with your you know, T-series uh, version or whatever that is on Google. Uh, you have to get the bigger boxes. And the throughput will cost you. So you get that 32 gigabits for the cost of the instance. But then if you want 50 gigabits per month, it's $334 extra per month. 75 will cost you about $500, and 100 gigabits a month will cost you $668 per server. I, I, I'd love to know what the technology is behind that, um, just that bandwidth of networking to a single instance. I mean, just thinking about like the PCI 4 bus, I think you might get 2 gigabits a second of throughput for that thing. So how, how are they actually hooking this thing into... <laughs> into those instances uh, in a way that you can actually make use of that capacity. Maybe the instance itself has like a CAT 6500 as its backplane. <laughs> so the uh, if you have looked at the blog post in this one, they do a uh, link to the Andromeda host networking stack, which gives you a full breakdown of how they do their networking 
uh, with their Andromeda stuff, which is very similar to what we see in Amazon with their you know special chips, uh, ASIC chips, and those kind of things. So that definitely will give you an idea of how they do it. This article linked to was actually when they released the 32 gigabit version, but basically the same method uh, was used to then to just optimized it to reach the level they wanted to get to. So you'll have a little bit of an answer there for you, maybe Jonathan, if you want to check that out. But uh, definitely linked in the article that we linked to. Spoiler alert. It's just a giant cat six <laughs> like six inches in diameter. Wider wider cables equal more bandwidth. Unless it's fiber, then mm-hmm. it goes the other direction. So <laughs> we could stick a thousand hundred megabit NIC cards in each box. And then basically bridge them together as a bond NIC. Yeah, bond, bond them. them together. Yeah, do bonding. Yeah. 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 Then you have you know how many network switches in the back end on the other side of that bond like that's a that's a nightmare of epic proportions I've ever heard of one. My networking side goes no no. Yes. It's the it's the it's, inter- it's the uh, it's the computer version of making sausage. <laughs> <laughs> Adria was a little quiet this week, but they did uh, give us a couple of things for lightning around. We'll get to in a little bit here. Uh, but the one thing they did announce that I thought would be worth talking about was uh, apparently I've been very unhappy with the cloud pod and us pointing out that Azure isn't a strong believer in availability zones uh, for new regions. And so they have clarified their plans in the future with this latest blog post, and that is that the availability zones will be in every country they operate by the end of 2021, the least having one region with multiple availability zones, and all new regions will have a multiple AZs going forward with a minimum of three. Uh, this week, they even they have enabled three zones in Brazil South, just to prove it. And having AZs isn't enough. So if you're using higher value service of the stack from traditional infrastructure service, Azure is committed to having all foundational and mainstream Azure services by be AZ enabled as well by the end of 2021. Uh, so they are going big into AZs uh, and making sure that they give you the availability and resiliency that you need to support your cloud workloads. That would be so great if they actually mentioned us. That would be really awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'll take I'll take credit. Sick and tired of those cloud yeah. pod guys ripping on our availability zone strategy. <laughs> it does have a ring of like a fine. We'll just new data centers everywhere. You know, that's <laughs> nah, probably two things driving it. Really, there's probably just growth of uh, there's your cloud customers in general, and they just need more room to put more things for people. But also, there's use cases like healthcare where uptime is really important. I mean, you, you, four nines isn't enough. Five nines might be enough, but the more the more the better. And you know, a healthcare provider is not going to want to risk hours of downtime if it's critical patient data. So, I mean, at least um, part of the requirements in the US require uptime to meet certain standards. So, if they can't meet those, then people aren't going to move their workloads there. But it's nice too because it gives you, you know, they're committing to having at least one one data center in each region be three availability zones or each region. They're not data centers, but um, that's pretty good. Though that means that when you get, you know, into Japan, you'll have at least one data center that has multiple AZs potentially, and then you'll have another region in Japan that'll have at least one or two, and that gives you a good DR story too. So maybe it's not exactly what you're looking for, but at least you have a DR option which you maybe wouldn't have had otherwise. Well, that is it for new news. Peter, you want to take us to the lightning round? I do, but I hate the first story. So I'm going to do it, but I hate it. Let me just say I hate it. Um, but we have a general availability announcement. Now in GA, we've got enhanced Azure dashboards experience for pinned log analytics parts. It seems like they pinned you to the mat on this one, Peter. Ooh. They're just announcing that no one used it in beta, so they may as well just GA it. <laughs> Might as well. No one's no one's watching. 
I'm gonna tap out. Ooh. <laughs> nah. <laughs> that's so much better. Can I explain why that's so much better? Because I'm uh uh I am a uh, practitioner of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, so pinning my shoulders to the mat means nothing, but making me tap out is extremely uh important. So there you go. Sorry, Justin. Nice. You're already way behind. <laughs> Both good tries. <laughs> All right. So we've got the Azure Monitor SQL Insights for Azure SQL in public preview. Man, they have milked this SQL Insights story for weeks now. SQL Insights for, you know, easy two based stuff. It's all over the place. Like, then all you look at it, it's like, oh, it's just the same thing you always had in SQL Management Studio. Thanks. But in a web console, I appreciate that. Announcing AWS Media Intelligence Solutions. Which is an amazing announcement for half the population. And the other half of the population is like, there is no intelligence in media. (laughs) (laughs) You struck in another soft spot in my heart right there. (laughs) Amazon EC2 now supports UEFI boot when migrating virtual machines to EC2. Yiffy? I don't know. I I was waiting for Jonathan to explain to me what that was. He was excited about it in the read-through earlier. <laughs> uh, he was, yeah. <laughs> not, not for funny reasons, just for actual using reasons. <laughs> <laughs> like funny ironic? Not funny haha. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a side note, you can't migrate a bunch of instances from your data center if they already use UEFI boot to AWS, and they can. There you go. Death to lift and shift, right, but not <laughs> very good practice. Uh-huh. <laughs> lift and shift. <laughs> Amazon EKS reduces cluster creation time by forty percent, showing even Amazon can over optimize the wrong things. <laughs> All you got to do is take that very large you know, binary that you were downloading from S3 and just burn it into your AMI. Suddenly, suddenly it's so much faster. (laughs) I just start sooner. You know, it's funny. This thing just popped up and I was just, we're just doing a, a sort of a, a DR solution where the, the time it takes EKS to spin, spin up the cluster is an issue for the, uh, for the uh, RTO. And so now I have to go back and redo my calculations. <laughs> <laughs> that happens to me a lot, actually, now. Pod, and I'm doing show notes, and I'm like, oh, we just talked about this two weeks ago. Son of we didn't have a good solution, and we're going to do a bunch of work, and we already spun up the work, and now we don't need it. <laughs> it's good that we might not just have to leave instances stopped. We'll be able to create the cl- maybe be able to create the cluster uh, dynamically. Okay. Sorry. Amazon EC2 auto-scaling instant refresh now supports phased deployments. I mean, it was already the refresh that goes server by server, so it seemed like it was already phased to me, but I don't know. There should be a Star Trek joke in there, like, you know, it's a disruptive service or something. I don't know, like phases and disruptors. And so you're saying you should have done your homework and come up with a joke? Is that what you're saying? I should have done, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, said, like, I wish I'd done a joke. I wish, wish I'd done some research. Yeah. 
Amazon RDS for MySQL now supports rollback protection for database major version upgrades. It's a really long title for snapshots. Yeah. What are they protecting me from? Yourself. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I need protection from. That makes sense. Well, you, you can't take a snapshot and then restore it if the, if the underlying RDS instance has been upgraded to a new version. I think so. It's, it's the, uh, hey, you can now make use of those snapshots you've been making, even though we updated the, the, uh, the engine. Oh, yeah. So you got to go back a month, but you just updated a week ago. All of a sudden, your snapshots are worthless. Yeah. That's yeah. hugely valuable. You keep coming back with facts yeah. and the lightning round. I just, I can't that shouldn't be in the, that, you know, that, that it, it I say that means that that shouldn't have been in the lightning round, Justin. Amazon, well. Amazon wanted this in the lightning round. It's whoops. Didn't realize that was a, a problem until just now. <laughs> yeah. It's a huge, yeah, it's a huge blind spot. I, I didn't even think of it until now. Yeah. I suppose it's okay as long as you're still on a supported version, but if it's, if you're already on the last version, you're the last person to update and now, now you can't deploy that old version anymore. you well, this, this is this is really specifically for one use case, which is going from MySQL 5x to MySQL 8, which requires some shenanigans because of the way they changed a bunch of the underpinnings of MySQL 8. Um, so this burned me actually once uh, upgrading the CloudPod website. When I went to MySQL 8 and all of a sudden none of my <laughs> stuff worked because uh, I didn't know about this little, you had to go run a special command to update all of these, uh, something internal to the database. I'm not a DBA, so I apologize for all the DBAs. Uh, but yeah, this basically gives a pre-check and then post-check uh, that this property worked. I think gives you rollback protection uh, to go back to 5.7 if your upgrade fails, which is really the key thing because that's a problem. I don't know anyone who uses my or Oracle MySQL anymore. Everyone kind of pivoted to MariaDB. Uh, I mean, MariaDB has the same problem, and I still use MySQL, so I'll get an audit letter from Oracle any day now. <laughs> Wait, is MySQL MySQL still open it is source, open source, right? but it's still basically controlled by Oracle. Just like Elasticsearch, they'll change the licensing terms and pray they don't change them further yeah, yeah, yeah. someday. That's the fear of Oracle with this one. I mean, Hudson still exists too, which you know is still open source and never got taken over by Oracle really, but only person I think actually uses Hudson anymore is Oracle. Oh, I didn't realize it was open source. I thought they pulled that. I thought that's why everyone jumped. No, they, they jumped because of Oracle. They didn't jump because Oracle threatened to change the licensing terms. I wonder how much of that is just like people like, oh, Oracle, then they just assumed they changed the license. Because I, I was under that assumption for like 10 years almost now that Oracle changed the licenses. And that's why we all. Well, that's why everyone. That's why GitLab got a bunch of customers when GitHub got bought by Microsoft because they were like, Microsoft's going to screw it all up. And I actually think Microsoft's been a great shepherd of GitHub. So. They actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hey, don't disrupt Peter too much. He's going to forget all the good things. I yeah, say. exactly. <laughs> or he's just going to phase out, and then the lightning round ends with no uh, no no results other than you hear snoring in the background. Because it's lightning round, it's supposed to go fast. Amazon QLDB increases verification APIs throughput by an order of magnitude, which means ten times. I mean, if they had written a quantum database properly with distributed transactions, they could then you know, distribute the verification. But because they didn't do that, they'd have to scale it up separately. Nice job. Bravo. I don't understand this announcement by an order of magnitude compared to the last <laughs> announcement. Isn't an order of magnitude in binary just only twice as much? I thought it was just twice as much. I think it's 10 times. It's only, it's only 10 of its decimal, right? You correct me well, if I'm wrong. I mean, in this article, it is 10 times. So That's let right. it go... I mean, it is an order of magnitude. It is some homework, just not all the homework. <laughs> Sounds like marketing speak. 
AWS announces developer preview release of opinionated deployment tool for .NET CLI. My opinion is don't use .NET. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder whose opinion they used for this CLI. This could go horribly wrong. I really like that that term, the whole opinionated thing. It just, it just, it kind of like pre-biases me to think it's not valid in a way. I'm, it'll get replaced. I, it's, it's not a great term. I, just, I suspect someone yeah. will eventually come up with a better answer for that. It's prescriptive guidance, really, is what I would call it. But yeah, yes. Well, we are. Uh, we still have five items left. <laughs> are we done yet? I know. We still have five <laughs> items left. And I've never done this before, but I want to get an, give an update. I can't believe that I'm in this position right now. But Jonathan gave me an opportunity to get Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the mix. And he's not in the lead because of how excited I was with the media intelligence comment. <laughs> but oh, it's fake news. But it can all change. It can all change with the next announcement, which is ripe for opportunity. <laughs> So that's where we're at. Okay. You can now leverage state-of-the-art natural language processing with Hugging Face and Amazon SageMaker. So brought to you from the Wayland Utani Corporation. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I didn't even hear. Can you say it again? Brought to you by the Wayland Utani Corporation. <laughs> I was, uh, you know, Ryan, you said you, you like these fun code names for machine learning and AI things. Here you go. Hugging face. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This one. Uh, <laughs> it's the best humor. part about the, be- the best part of the story was Peter at the you know run through going, are you guys trolling me on this? Like, it's not really hugging face. And he had to go double click <laughs> the link to make sure because we, ha- we have tried to trip up Peter in the past. We haven't done it in a while, but we used to insert words into the lighting around as he went through. And so he, he assumed I was trolling, which was the best part of the whole thing. <laughs> yes. I, I clicked on the link to make sure it was real before I said it. The Hugging Face DLC. What will they think of next? Sucking Face DLC? That would be, that'd be yeah, that'd be good. I, I knew the reference, Jonathan. You didn't have to. I'm not sure. Pay I don't you. think he did. I just, I'm, I'm I just Googled it. Sure I, get I, go- I Googled I, I get, it while get, you said it. I'm, no, what? <laughs> hey, Liz. I mean, I I don't know if I still get it, but I googled it. They're the they're the corporation that share? sends the people and aliens <laughs> to to go to go basically save the, the people, and then they're the and in the new movies they're the, actually the evil corporation because you know they are trying to find God and save the founder of the company. There's a whole thing. There's alien series here. Yeah, but natural language processing and hugging face. What's the connection? Well, because the face huggers are the aliens, and when they're in the cocoons, they jump on your face and they hug your face <laughs> oh. and inject the parasite into your. So- wow, oh, that's, we that's a winner. That's a winner. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's so good. That's a winner. I don't, I'm not. I, I I'm going to finish the last four. I don't care what anybody says. That's a winner. <laughs> wow, that was that was rough. <laughs> you never know, though. I've changed my mind in the past. Amazon QuickSight launches custom <laughs> tooltips, updates to anomaly detection, and more. Could you imagine being the GM of QuickSight this week? They're hiring who is the CEO of AWS from where? <laughs> <laughs> Crap. <Yeah. Uh-oh>. <laughs> I'm going to transfer. <laughs> yeah. Nice. 
<laughs> you should have put that last. I I thought about it. <laughs> it just mean it just means he's got a zinger. Mm-hmm. The AWS cost categories now supports inherited and default values. Spending your own money is not enough. You got to spend your ancestors' money too now. <laughs> nice. I have something similar. I'll, I'll let you take that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> AWS Glue Studio now supports transforms defined in SQL. Uh, data. Where we always end up with SQL at the end of the day. No SQL. SQL. Sorry with SQL. Now we have data, ETLs, SQL. Like, how do we solve data problems? SQL. That's how you know yeah. you've arrived in the data. No level. one can understand anything but select star from some table name. That's apparently the only way we can do data in this world. Funny, I just use well, the drop me. command. That's the only SQL I know. <laughs> I never get anything back, though. It's weird. Hmm. Wrapping it up, Cloud Spanner launches point-in-time recovery capability. Asking you which region is point-in-time. Ooh, speed of light. Pretty good. I'll just say that I think I deserve the point for not having any answers and contributing to this 20 Ooh, minutes. <laughs> that's a good point. I mean, I feel like I get partial credit on the hugging thing because I walked you through the whole aliens, Waylon thing. <laughs> I got you there. Like, I, I feel like I got partial credit. Yeah. Team effort. I mean, I was I was I was rooting for Jonathan because like, he was he went with what I was going to go with, and so yeah. So yes, Maybe no, Jonathan, this, that was spectacular. That was a spectacular <laughs> pull because I know you don't do your homework either. So the fact that you pulled that that quickly that was awesome. I got to give credit to that, but but just to go back to my roots, I'm actually going to give you the win for the tap out for my BJJ uh, passion, so I can always go back to. The gym and claim that I that that's that I gave you the win for that, so I don't get beat up for not giving it to you for that. Wow! Do you do jujitsu sparring partners listen to the podcast? That's a good question. I bet they don't. (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't know how much beating how much they know about it. No, they know about it though, because when I'm in California and pre-pandemic, when I was working out, I would literally have to leave the gym and run home to get back in time to record. I'm like, oh, recording that. I got to go. Because they always like to like get a beer after and stuff. So they all know I'm on it. But I, I bet none of them listen. I was going to congratulate you on your, your sincerity and everything just then. But I actually think you were, you, you're telling the truth. <laughs> I am telling the truth. I don't know how to lie. I, was, but I, I, I used to play poker a lot, uh, like Texas Hold'em. And I'd be like, I, I don't lie. I don't lie. I don't bluff. And then nobody believed me. And then I would win because nobody believed me. Well, if you are riveted by that take on jujitsu and all of the things that are lighting around that took 20 minutes and you're still here and you're looking for things to do in the next week, uh, on April 8th is the Cystic Accelerate Threat Detection Across Clouds and Containers. Uh, if you're not into clouds and containers, uh, you can also check out the AWS Startup Day, which is also on April 8th. Uh, I forgot a news story, though, that, you know, Ryan, I know your containers have caused some problems in the Suez Canal this week in Egypt. <laughs> and uh, we got to talk about your your bin packing because you can't you can't pack the river that full. That's that's just not going to work out. So yeah. I need you to fix that. Would not be the first time my containers went sideways. Yeah, it's a rough, <laughs> rough story. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for another fantastic week in cloud. Have a great weekend. We promise not to do this again. This week. <laughs> no, don't make that promise. <laughs> yeah. Don't make promises we can't keep. Yes. Good night. <laughs>
<laughs> See ya. <laughs> Bye, everybody. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. Thank you.